In the name of God, whose we are. Amen. Are you giving something up or are you taking something on? These are questions I get from from most people at the beginning of this Lenten season. But the more, the, the longer I live into this idea of Lent, three words come to mind for me about this season. Remembering, preparation, and transformation. And I know that these words seem a little unusual, especially since at the beginning of every Lent, we hear the story of Jesus in the wilderness. And you know the story. After Jesus' baptism, he's led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. The theory then is that in the 40 days of Lent, we should give something up as a way to um, test or or work on our obedience and, and our faith. But I think that Lent, and like this, this time in the wilderness of Jesus, is more than just about fortifying faith or um, working on our obedience. In each of, of the Gospels, this, this time in the wilderness is, is the time directly before Jesus begins his public ministry. Before it officially begins. The, the cycle is the same in each gospel. You see, there's, there's a baptism where Jesus is declared the Son of God. And then he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness to struggle with what that really means. To, to, to struggle, you see, with, with who it is that he's becoming. What it is he's called to do. But the writer of of Luke does something a little different. Between the the baptism of Jesus and and Jesus being led into the wilderness, Luke gives us Jesus' genealogy. Luke tells us that that after Jesus is baptized, this dove descends upon him and a, a voice from heaven says, you're my son, the beloved, with you I'm well pleased. And, and then Luke writes this. Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his work. He was the son, as was thought, of Joseph. And Luke then begins this genealogy of Jesus with Joseph, and he continues all the way back to Adam and then to to God, our creator. And he says Jesus is the son of that God. Matthew is the only other gospel writer who gives us a genealogy of Jesus. In fact, the gospel of Matthew, uh, the first gospel of the New Testament, begins with these words, an account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Think about this. Those are the first words on the first page of the New Testament. Genealogies matter. And while Matthew begins with Abraham and and works up to Jesus, and and Luke begins with Joseph and works back to Adam and and to God, and and while these genealogies differ just, just a little bit in their names, 
Both of these writers are, are highlighting this society that's strictly organized around strong bonds of kinship. A society organized around history. And even in our society today, there's something about being grounded in whose we are, who we belong to. Think about it. Ancestry.com and 23andMe are million-dollar businesses. Our history matters. And why is that? If you really think about this, this inclusion of Luke, of this genealogy, it's as though in baptism Jesus is told whose he is so that as he goes out um, through this wilderness experience, this time of transition, he can be sustained in knowing that he is God's and not just that he is God's, but that by way of, of these people, by, by way of these people that God has constantly been rescuing and using for good as far back as, as, as Adam, Jesus is grafted into that. For the genealogy of, of Jesus actually contains a, a peculiar assortment of people. These aren't the best people. And in their stories, we we know that God doesn't hesitate to use those who will scheme. And and God doesn't hesitate to use the noble and the impure as well as the pure. Men who the world heritage and, and women who the world frowned upon, they're all in the genealogy. They're all a part of the story. They're all a part of Jesus. And what, what I think Luke is telling us, that it was important for Jesus to know the stories of all who came before. Because somehow in the, in the wilderness experience, knowing that he is grounded in the God who was with all of those before him, it allows him to become something new. It allows him to know that that God will be with him as he is becoming something new. In recent conversations, I've I've been reminded of of how much our life is spent in the transition of what was and what is and what is to become. And several people have shared with me that that they are struggling in, in coming to terms with aging with suddenly realizing that that all the things that that they used to do, they they can't do any longer. And in the wake of these conversations, a a young person came to me struggling and and needed to talk, a young person 60 years younger than, than all these other people, and explained to me that they had suddenly realized that who they were today in this moment, they will never be again. They realize in touching their face that that things are constantly changing. And and it took my breath away because that's a really brilliant insight that I dare say none of us really dwell on. Because I, I really think that most of us mistakenly think we're finished. 
I think that we live with this illusion that, that, that all has, that has happened before this moment has come to an end, making who we are right now relatively stable for the rest of our lives. And I don't think that we anticipate how much we actually change. In fact, psychologists who, who study this, um, these sorts of things, tell us that at every age, we vastly underestimate how much change will happen to us in our lives. And these psychologists, um, they couch our predicament in terms of the ease of remembering versus the difficulty of imagining. So they say that it's easier for us to look back at, at, at all that has happened to get to this point, whether that be in our families, our, our personal history, who we came from, all the things which have happened. Um, it's easier for us to, to dwell in that. It's easier for us to dwell in the past than to imagine our future. And because of that, we live with so much regret of, of decisions that we've made and choices we made because we were that person then and we're a different person now. You see, we dwell on our messiness and our brokenness rather than, than welcoming who we are becoming. In a sermon this week, Bishop Curry, our presiding bishop, called Lent a revival, a time of, of transformation in, in hopes of, of, of something new being born at the end. And in all honesty, I, I haven't really been to a lot of revivals. But, but I remember one as a child, and there are two things that I kind of remember about it. And the first is that there was a lot of storytelling they called it witnessing. I call it storytelling. But people would stand up and say, well, this is who I was, but, but I've been transformed, and, and now this is who I am today. And the other thing I, I remember about the revival is that when it began, there was an expectation that people really would be changed that this week or, or, or five days or four days, whatever it was, that, that, that by the end of it, people really would be changed. And I think that Bishop Curry is on to something here. What if Lent became less about um, giving up or taking on or, or thinking about our obedience and more about remembering whose we are so that we can trust the new of what we are becoming? What if Lent were, were more about trusting that by way of our baptism, that, that we've been grafted into this family of Jesus, this, this genealogy, and in remembering that, that genealogy, by telling our stories, by, by telling their stories, we're able to recognize that God has always worked through the messy and broken families and people. People who don't always make the right choice and decision. People just like us.
What if Lent were more about learning to trust that, that we too are God's beloved? And because of that, like, like Jesus, in our own times of wilderness, and our own transformation, we can trust that God is with us in our becoming, our becoming of who we are, our becoming of our new. What if Lent was an intentional time to, to actually remember our messiness, to name it, to witness to it, so that we can prepare so that, that we can prepare and remember, then we're cleaned out so that our transformation will be more than we could ever imagine or hope for. What if Lent was a real revival? Amen.